0: Hey, all right, and welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music, and my conversation this week is with Tom Sharpling. He's the host of The Best Show. He's the host of Meet My Friends, The Friends. He's one half of the Sharpling and Worcester comedy duo, creator of the 18-wheeler fanzine and the 18-wheeler record label, this guy put out the first refrigerator LP. For that alone, we are thankful. He was a writer on the TV show Monk. He's a writer now on What We Do in the Shadows, which just got picked up for season four. And he's the writer of the new book It Never Ends, a memoir with nice memories, he is Tom Sharpling, and he's on our podcast, Better Yet, and I am elated. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music. Marcus Nuccio, who does our graphics each week. You can see those on our website, betteryetpod.com. want to invite you all to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Bandcamp Betty at podcast.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you're new to this show, check out that feed. Scroll through our archive of past episodes. We've got great conversations with some of the best musicians in the world. Augusta Koch of Gladian Cayetana, Tony Molina, Robin Waddy of Big Brave, Matt Scottiline of Hurry was here last week. And next week, we got the best in the world. Laura Stevenson will be on the show. She's got a new record out. It's called Laura Stevenson. This is Laura's first time on Better Yet since the release of the Life's Work podcast, a podcast that we worked on together, a seven-episode series on her second album, Sit, Resist. Looking forward to having Laura back on the show and excited to share this week's conversation with you all, one that I had with Tom Sharpling back in June You know, I've been fortunate enough to talk to some people who really influenced me as a person who does podcasts, people like Cole Cabana and Chris Gethard, and Tom Sharpling really completes that trio. The Best Show was a huge discovery. Tom's on-air persona, his interviews are so effortlessly great and personable. I remember in August 2017, James Murphy of LCD Sound System was on The Best Show from beginning to end, three hours, and Tom does an interview with James Murphy. And I'm not a big LCD Sound System fan, but that interview is magic. I'd highly recommend digging that one up from The Best Show archives, and you'll scroll through those archives and notice a similarity between The Best Show and, better yet, all caps, exclamation point, I 100% stole that from Tom Sharpling. And he's here this week, and I'm stoked for this conversation. Tom's new book, It Never Ends, is a national bestseller from the comedian, television writer, and host of The Best Show. It's a memoir filled with nice memories chronicling Tom's life as a comedy writer, a pursuit that doesn't really have a clear starting path or a set track, but this guy Tom... He's a fighter baby from humble beginnings in Middlesex, New Jersey. Tom's work ethic is inspiring and his candidness in this book is really something special. Tom tells stories that he's never told publicly before about his struggles with mental illness as a teenager. It's really moving and I'm very excited to have had the opportunity to talk with him. I'm kind of nervous at the beginning, but... I was also in good hands. We get there, baby. Rate and subscribe. We'll be back next week. For now, here's me and Tom Sharpling. I oh, will be excited to have you on, too. So awesome. Fun. No, it's exciting. This is also an exciting one for, uh, for my partner and I, too. When We were talking about it last night when we were watching what we do in the shadows, mm-hmm. which we were enjoying very much. Okay. Um, but when we first started seeing each other, Meet My Friends the Friends, I think, was a few episodes in. And I was so excited about that show. And it was one of the things that we sort of bonded over when we first started seeing each oh, other. Oh, that's sweet. Was Meet. how much... <laughs> love was <is laughs> like in the air show. with
1: Meet My Friends the Friends as Cupid. <laughs>
0: So I I should say too um, as we get into this that I'm I've been doing this show for five years now and I'm I'm currently on a break okay so took some took a, a few weeks off banked some interviews back up but I figured that would be something that you could probably relate to somebody who's been doing something for
1: quite a long time you know about taking breaks yeah. It's it at some point you kind of have to take them if you're if you're really kind of stretched thin or worn down it, it's otherwise it's going to impact the show and there's no reason to do the show if um you're doing a bad version of it just to do it it's like take a little breather and then get ready to do it again truly
0: truly um the new book it never ends I'm really enjoying this book of yours, Tom. I, it's got a lot of passages that I've been relating to, just in terms of focus and discipline and having objectives. And also, I'm <laughs> I like the um, time that you take to talk about uh, the certain people in your in your life who have kind of made you feel a little silly doing what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah. Coming back and sticking it to him. A <laughs> oh, little bit. There's a little bit yeah. of that in there. It's not a it's not a fist shaking. I showed all of you. It's not like that. But I'm doing trying to just take care of my business and go where I'm supposed to go and uh sometimes it feels good to get there when maybe people didn't th- that's weren't weren't super supportive.
0: Yeah, so when you signed on to write the book, um, I guess w- what's our timetable look like in terms of deciding to do the book, and then we obviously had this this pandemic happen. Did um, I like talking to people about silver linings through mm-hmm. this time? Were you? I guess able to, well, first of all, did it, did it coincide with the pandemic where? Yeah,
1: it did. I started, um, I probably started in 2018 in earnest with it and put together book proposal stuff and, and wrote part of it as a, as a, as a means to show what the book would be. So I, I wrote, I wrote three chapters early. And then um, then sh- th- showed those around, and, and Abrams was most interested in it. it. was very, very excited about it, and I was excited to work with them. And um, so then uh, early 2019 is when it really uh, started and was kind of stop-start throughout the whole year, getting there, Getting closer, getting closer, and then uh, pandemic happened, and um, yeah, then it was just—I uh, really finished it during the pandemic. I finished it in uh, April, May, June. Were um, I think it was about that. It was about like those, mm-hmm. like th- like those three months, where I made a real push on it and got got over the hump with the book. But the pandemic i i kind of i did was was able to take advantage of um of it to some degree because everything had obviously shut down so i just would write from morning till night every day for a few months just really just turn the corner on it
0: yeah so I'm from uh New Jersey originally. Uh a town called Branchburg. Do you know
1: Branchburg? Where's Branchburg near? Is that is that uh near Lawrence by any chance? It's it's near Flemington and sure. Hillsborough. So you're talking 206. 206202 like that. Mm-hmm. That area. Yes. I spent I have an uncle in the Flemington area, so I've Spend some time down at the Flemington Mall. Yeah, that that awesome stretch where you're where it's got the island divider and you're driving. Yeah, I've 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 done my time.
0: You have you, gone a few miles down to make that left turn. Yeah.
1: Um so that train? There's like a train museum or something down there, right? Yeah. Isn't there? Oh the yeah. Model train museum. I haven't
0: thought about that and. Sometime model I trains if that survived
1: the pandemic. <laughs> I wonder if the model train museum survived the pandemic. I'm gonna say it did. <laughs> um, now, where did you where were you growing up? I, I see
0: Middlesex in the book, but is that the, is that the town you were in? Yeah, Middlesex,
1: Den ar- around New Brunswick. Yeah, is is uh more or less where I grew up. Yeah, so kind of. Whatever, near Route One mm-hmm. straight path to uh Manhattan forty forty minutes on a good night and you're in the city. Yeah. That area. Was there music in the house when you were growing up? Yeah, not I mean my my family listened to music. Not not uh obsessively like I would, mm-hmm. but so it was a strange thing when I got really, um, really caught up in it because there was kind of no no precedent for it. Um, yeah, but we we would listen to music. My parents liked uh, they liked, I guess, a lot of uh, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, like that kind of country. Mm-hmm. They liked a lot, like the kind of the, I guess, the outlaw country. Is that what you'd call it? I believe so. Yeah, I think that applies. Yeah, so, a lot of the 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 country people in the 70s who were kind of scummy towns? Not really. No, they were just just the big just the the big fish. Mm-hmm. So, when do you remember like when you
0: were starting to get into music in the obsessive sense? This is the this is the uh, couple of questions that I ask everyone on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! I, I, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what spurred me on to start reading um, music magazines, but I started. I think I started reading Cream around like nine, nine or ten, mm-hmm. and just started buying stuff. From from cream, I bought uh, like Elvis Costello, uh, Armed Forces, uh, Nick Lowe, Labor of Love, yeah, um, uh, Neil Young, Russ Never Sleeps. Like those were the ones I bought with my own money. In addition to seven inches, like more pop, seven inches like Olivia Newton John, uh, Electric Light Orchestra. Um, yeah, I would just I was all in on it and that kind of set the path where i would buy these uh just i would just buy hits on 45 and then get these albums and that kind of um morphed into me just going to the store and i would buy uh i mean i would literally buy at the same time like emerson lake and palmer husker do frankie goes to hollywood and rolling stones were all records i know i bought probably on the same day um like and those are just—it's a huge collision of of styles. There not a lot of Husker do uh Frankie goes to Hollywood overlap, but there was in my world. It kind of made sense, all of it. Yeah, I, I was lucky to be relatively isolated from uh, influence with some of that stuff. Like I didn't have an older sibling telling me what was right and what was wrong and i um i wasn't in a neighborhood just loaded with kids who all had uh opinions on how you do it i just kind of pieced it together myself and it kind of created a weird mishmash of stuff so but it's it's better that way
0: yeah yeah you have um you have one of those musical brains that I, I listen to some of the facts that you pull out, and I say, like, I have I can do this for four bands, and you seem to have mm-hmm. just an endless uh, array of knowledge.:
1: Well, it's, it's uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I just hold on to facts and minutiae. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it's just a like you end up, it ends up filling up half your head. Yeah. Um,
0: I wanted to ask about the Velvet Underground specifically, just because I, my, one of the few calls I made to the best show was um, basically an excuse to ask you if you knew that tugboat by galaxy 500 was about sterling morrison even though i knew you mm-hmm. did
1: i just yeah. felt it was <laughs> you still wanted to hear me say it <laughs> okay
0: i'm one of those i
1: can't <clears throat> i can't put any any judgments on what would make someone call but when you call i don't know i gotta do something with it so <laughs> i don't know if i i don't know how nice i was to you about that I might have been what happened when I, when you called?
0: Um, you were you were pretty nice, okay. I, I called, yeah, I, I, I don't recall the actual like reason that I said I was calling for, but it was just, yeah, you know, for me to say, <clears throat> did you know this fact that pretty much anybody who is moved by uh, mm-hmm. the Galaxy 500 song that moves everyone?
1: Yeah, and you, you drop some truth bombs on me about it. Did you know that's actually about Sterling Morrison? Because I don't know if you know this, but after the Velvet Underground, he became a tugboat captain.
0: I actually really didn't have any sp- specific question about the velvet underground i just wanted to tell mm-hmm. you about the time that i called the best show to tell you about <laughs> sure
1: please you do that anytime you want well the, anytime you want we'll talk about it
0: um the the personality though that you have uh, on the show um i remember you talking to to mark maron about um the the talk show host whose name is escaping me right now but the wabc uh get off my phone essentially oh bob grant bob grant yeah yeah so kind of like a pre-rush limbaugh talk pre- radio pre-rush
1: limbaugh old fashioned new york city hate monger um fish shaking the world is changing uh-huh. uh our world is dying kind of right wing uh jerk but he was really good at broadcasting, but he was the worst. <laughs> and and it would just, I don't, hey, look, if whatever side of the issues you're on, it's like he, it's, it, you got to admit, it's funny if somebody is being boring, a caller's being boring, and then you just hear Bob Grant pouring water <laughs> next to the microphone, when and it's just like, <laughs> And not being able to, if somebody goes, if, he, if so he's like, uh, Bill from Mawa, you're on the show. And he goes, how you doing, Bob? And then, like, that it was a, enough to irritate Bob <laughs> Grabe, like, What's on your mind, Bill? He was just like, as if he didn't have time to waste on somebody saying, how are you? Uh uh-huh. Like, that that was somehow an <laughs> affront to him. I thought it was very funny, and he was evil, but it's like, well, what if you take some of that energy and use it for good stuff? Yeah. So, I it, it informed things to some degree.
0: When you were, I guess, does that come as like a, a revelation to you when you're already into doing your program, and you're developing your on air personality or was it sort of a process that you developed over time?
1: Oh, it's both. It's, it's kind of, I'm doing it and I'm making fun of, I'm a, a, in ways I thought I was making fun of Bob Grant by like doing some sort of impersonation it's just like playing with the same tools he plays with not a straight up impersonation. I'm not trying to sound like his voice or anything. I and mean, we're talking about completely different subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, it's a part of a thing to, to hear how someone who speaks into a microphone speaks and to be like, well, I think that works and that doesn't work. And I would, you just, you start to utilize pieces of it, and then that goes away, and then you become yourself. Yeah. But every everybody needs to cover a couple songs before they start writing songs. Right. So, that's all it is. And then you stop. You stop doing that. Um, in terms
0: of comedy, and I guess this runs concurrent to music, too, but... um. Like what, who sparked your interest as far as that goes? I know Letterman is a big one for you.
1: Yeah. David Letterman was, was, um, was big. Uh, I mean, SCTV was the biggest along with David Letterman. Yeah. Just that kind of comedy and that kind of world building was very influential and made a huge impression on me and it was just also it highlighted that it's like yeah SNL is this live spectacle but it's like who cares that it's live I don't care Uh uh-huh. it's funnier if some, somebody films something and then gets it right I preferred that over just some gaudy show busy live thing which was what SNL was and is um for better or worse. I look I still you can't it's like you want to criticize it it's just like it's it's always going to be there this thing. Mhm. And um I don't know. It's it, I don't even think it's meant to be funny necessarily. It's just meant to exist. SNL
0: at the, at this yeah. point. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really because if they were trying to be funny first they would make different choices with stuff but it's meant to draw attention and uh get eyeballs onto onto sketches and so they they act like that i mean that's the top priority so that's what that's what motivates everything
0: mm-hmm. now letterman is someone that i think like i, I kind of uh, appreciate in a, like, I I feel like I, as a person who was born in the 80s, I go, ba- I go back and watch Letterman, and I sort of have to, you know, remind myself of what he's doing when. It's kind of like listening to, you know, old... Like, when I first got into Big Star, I was like, all right, now, like, keep in mind that this influenced all of this. So the things that are... Mm-hmm. But what what was it about um, Letterman and TV that you were drawn to? Was it just the subversiveness? Was it that it was different from?
1: Yeah, I think they're they're putting on a show, but they're also goofing on the the generation before them with it, and they're 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 making. They're just making fun of the whole process while doing it. Mm -hmm. Like saying like, yeah, we're doing a talk show, but isn't it on some level just the dumbest thing ever that celebrities walk on here and and talk to me for 10 minutes and then leave like that is a surreal, unnatural thing Mm -hmm. and kind of kind of embracing that while making fun of it is uh was kind of this the 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 axis of things for me
0: yeah so one thing that you do very well in the book is you, you keep you keep writing as a constant you no matter what you're writing about whether it's comedy or basketball um it's the writing process that you seem to always be chasing uh and I wanted to ask about your zine, 18 Wheeler.
1: Um, when did you start doing that? Early 90s, I guess. I'm bad with time on that. That would be about early, like early, early 90s. Um, yeah. And did it for for a couple few years in there. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I... It was my way of kinda of getting into uh the scene without being in a band and not yet having a radio show.
0: Yeah. Were there other zines that inspired you or was it similar to Letterman S C T V oh. where you were like, I want I want something that I'm not seeing.
1: No, there were there were definitely zines that, that um Conflict, uh, force exposure, uh, chemical imbalance, um, just the biggies like that. Um, biggies as if it's, those are, you know, (laughs) you know, huge those were no, but they were, they were in that scene. They were, they were big and, um, yeah, it was just, it was just a way for you could tell people were the people publishing them were using them as a means to kind of create the magazine they want to see. They were if you know, conflict was very funny, but also was incredibly passionate about music and it um and it came across on every page of it you would laugh and also learn about all these new bands and get really it was really exciting and you'd get an issue and then it would just be like, All right, time to get to work and start tracking some of these records down. And um but yeah, that was those were the ones that really uh impacted me.
0: Yeah. Where were you going to shows uh, at that time, obviously the city, Maxwell's was pretty popping, right?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Maxwell's, um, it's CBGB's, Maxwell's, where else? Um, Mercury Lounge. I'm trying to think. Like, I'm so bad with the names of places. Um, Brownies, uh, then City Gardens, uh, court tavern in new brunswick yeah yeah mercury lounge in new brunswick just like there were not mercury lounge what was it It was i can't um mercury lounge (laughs)
0: that's manhattan right
1: yeah it's the i'm blanking on the name of the place in new brunswick but big one was court tavern so um yeah it was a bunch of places but it's kind of up either up or down or kyber pass in philly yeah um yeah, you could, you go wherever the show was.
0: Is that how you meet John?
1: Yeah, we met at a, um, John Worcester and I met at a uh, a show he was playing at, which was at the Ritz in New York City. And it was um, My Bloody Valentine Pavement Super Chunk. And it was, I think, the first New York show for John in Superchunk and yeah, we hit it off right away. He seems to have that
0: similarity with you of the, the deep well of knowledge and
1: facts. Oh, absolutely. No, he's, it's a, he's the king of, I'll, I'll gladly take the silver medal, but he is the gold medal (laughs) champion. Um, yeah, no, it's it's just to, and it just cracks us up to no end, coming up with these stupid references to things. Um, yeah, it's just so funny to find somebody um, who literally thinks what you think is funny is funny. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the best.
0: I think what, it's my favorite thing about listening to those calls is just listening to the two of you break a little bit, John always has like a little laugh before he says something. And mm-hmm. then yours is always processing it.
1: It's just, yeah, it's something else. <laughs> yeah, no, I have the, I have the uh, luxury of restating the premise <laughs> back to him <laughs> to try to make him laugh or I'll just be like, so wait a minute, you're telling me, <laughs> that you're trying to and it's just like saying the premise of the the call back to him can can crack him up mm-hmm. and I, I figured that out a while ago. And yeah, but he can do it to me at any point during the call.
0: Um I guess for me it, it was really easy to take for granted the idea that what you were doing was met with a lot of resistance from the audience i think that was one of the biggest revelations of the book was oh yeah i didn't even think about the process that this had to go through of just getting over that hump of an audience reacting to something that they didn't
1: understand yet Oh yeah. No, people didn't like it. They didn't like it. They didn't get it. They didn't want it. And sometimes you just that's the that's the that's the crossroads in a certain way where you're just like, well, is this going to stop me from doing it cuz I like it? And um it really comes down to how you withstand some of that stuff and I was just like, "Who cares? They're wrong." This is really funny. We're being very. This is a really funny thing we're doing, and we're just at the beginning of it. So, um, yeah, we we had each other to just say like, "Yeah, let's keep going." With like, these people are wrong. We know it. They're not. I have pity for them because they don't get this yet. (laughs) And then, literally getting emails from people. That that's the first one says, "You guys suck, not funny," blah blah blah, all the stuff. And then a year and a half later, two years later, same person, just like, "All right, the show's funny. I get it now." It's like, yeah, <laughs> you do. We were right. You were wrong. Why'd you write me a nasty thing When you were wrong I watch things and listen to things all the time I don't go write the pe- letters Directly to the person Saying that I don't enjoy it uh-huh. <laughs> Like if The things I watch That I don't enjoy Oh my god The list is endless Can you imagine if I just contacted each of them Afterwards <laughs> To make it just in case you weren't sure I did not enjoy that I need to tell you. I need to tell you directly <laughs> that I did not like that. <laughs> it's like just watch it and go away. Go find something you do like. But I usually listen to the radio at this time. That's exactly... well, that was the whole that. thing. It's like, but this is the station I listen to because <laughs> there were all these WFMU listeners who are real, real music heads and. But not not so hot in the comedy department, and um they would be like like, "Well, if you don't like it, change the station. Oh, well, I can't change the station for your information. I can't. It's like, yes, you can stop it, oh, I can't, like people literally say they couldn't <laughs> that that I needed to go away rather than them have to turn the dial on their radio or." put on an album i don't know what else to tell them
0: yeah you want to hear you want to hear free jazz you can
1: where are your free jazz records go get one off the shelf
0: and and that was also i guess running around the same time that monk was was going was you were starting up doing the best show too that that had to be at least helpful yeah pretty much yeah you-
1: yeah, pretty much. Early two thousands, Best Show started in late two thousand. Monk started a year later. I uh, started working on it, uh, not even a year later. Um, yeah, so uh, they they overlapped, and it was an exciting period to have to be writing on a television show and to have this radio show just starting to take off and make sense to me um yeah it was a it was a good it was a very exciting period i
0: started watching monk in in quarantine and i mean i don't know it, have have people talked to you about this that for me a big hump with with monk was that it was on the usa network and the only reason i was ever watching the usa network was for wrestling
1: sure no that was a Uh, Trash Network Yeah At the time Nobody went there for original programming We were It was Monk and Dead Zone Were the only two They were the two original shows On USA Other than that it was wrestling It was Walker Texas Ranger reruns It was just kind of like a Garbage depot And um so there was an uphill battle with that. But and I'm sure that was a turn off to people be like, USA network. No thanks.
0: Um it's one of those shows that I I couldn't watch straight through. I only watched the first season and it took me a while just because those episodes are are heavy. There's so much heart in that show.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's we tried to fit a lot of things in it and make it very sentimental. It's very it's a very sentimental show and it's funny in a weird way. And um. yeah, and it has a mystery the whole time. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of a lot of elements poured into it. You'll do it, though. I believe in you. Thanks, Tom. Tim, I know you got it, and you can watch more episodes of Monk. <laughs> I believe you ha- you can rise to the challenge. I did have a, a watch more television.
0: I, I do have like a specific uh, question, and I apologize if it's been asked before, but the the pilot episode there's a reference to um, uh, someone in the police department named Anton Jamerson. I was wondering if that was your contribution.
1: That was not me. No, that's a pretty good catch, though. I don't know where that... I I don't know on that one. (laughs) I don't think I... I worked on the pilot. I was Andy Breckman's assistant and pitched jokes and helped shape a couple scenes on the pilot. But I don't think that would have been me. I mean, I know that um, Andy would pull names from from sports stuff occasionally. I mean, captain Stottlemyre is Damon probably from Damon Stottlemyre, the point guard. Um, I'm pretty sure that's where that came from. Um, yeah, but he would just, I think he would just maybe have sports. He was not a sports fan necessarily, but would, I think have things on in the background and hear announcers say names.
0: Um, Fun fact about me is that I wrote a I wrote a term paper in fourth grade about Damon Stoudemire being uh my hero.
1: <laughs> sure, was he that. Your, he was your hero?
0: I think it was just because he was short and he uh he played basketball and I too was yeah. short and played basketball.
1: Rookie of the year. Not much after Toronto that. Raptors. First draft of the Toronto Raptors, I think. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: He was at yeah. the he was at Arizona. I think that they won a title.
1: yeah, those were the days uh-huh. but they're gone now um i was
0: I was a late uh convert to the best show um and not out of any resistance. It just happened to me when it happened and I have always been really moved by the community that you have um, developed over time and, you know, bringing it back to the book, um, you talk about your history with mental illness.
1: Um, I- Oh, I don't think I put that in the book. Did I? <laughs> oh no. No, I'm of course. Yes. It's in, <laughs> wait, that's in the book. <laughs> Oh, no, that's a different book than I thought. No, it's... Yeah, that's a big part of the book.
0: I think that I was very caught by... Listening to the show the first time, and, and there's something that I think you communicate over the air that is just a very deep empathy. And I... I wanted to talk to you, I guess, about, um, you know, talk, talking about mental health as openly as you do in the book was, um, how was that process for you? I, you obviously kind of lay it out in the beginning.
1: It was fun Mm -hmm. to do. It was fun. No, it was not fun. It was the (laughs) hardest thing I ever did. It was so hard. It was so hard because I could have, um, I I was serious when I say that I was I would have been just as comfortable never telling any of these stories to anybody mm-hmm. kind of di- uh, taking them to the grave it just wouldn't it would it would have been something I would have accepted um but I do think I needed to do it also and so the act of 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 getting to that place where I'm going to actually talk about this stuff was a real, real challenge. It was very difficult and it was so exhausting to just like write about it because I mean, if I'm writing for television or doing whatever writing I'm doing, it's like, it's generally not about me Hmm. firstly and, and, but this is all about me. So every day it's like, it felt like cracking my head open and pouring my brains on a table and then like sorting through it for things and then pouring it back into my head at the end of the day. And I would just be exhausted. And cause it was really, it's a real challenge to just to, to say you're going to take these things that you'd never wanted to talk about and then talk about them. And, and make the, it's the biggest shift you could make with it to go from nobody knows this stuff to everybody could know this stuff. Now it's going to be in a book. It's all, it's almost not mine in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm sharing my story is then owned by everybody in a way. It's a very difficult, very strange adjustment. And I'm still, I'm right in the middle of dealing with it. It's very strange. Um, And, yeah, it's scary. I, I, You know, to be honest, it's a scary experience. Um, But it also, I I did need to do it, and I could not have written a book that wouldn't have had that stuff in it. That would have been like a complete, uh, it just would have been a a deception then, because I would have been telling my story without actually telling my story. Would have been not, not, it just wouldn't have been uh honest
0: mhm did you have any conversations with um folks about like i'm i'm thinking of gethard uh he's the king of uh talking about this sort of thing
1: well i'm i'm gunning for the crown then <laughs> cuz I got my stories. Let's see who's king at the end of the day on this one. <laughs> um No, um, I did not. I did not. I was really on my own with this. I didn't want to um I didn't want to share it or dilute it or kind of I needed to be my own compass with it, I guess, in terms of knowing what I should or could talk about. I really didn't want to start filtering it through anybody else, not, and I didn't tell anybody uh, that uh, what I was writing until I wrote it.
0: Wow! Now you get to talk to uh, a whole bunch of people like me about it. Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) Where it's like, oh, you know everything about me now. Very nice to meet you. (laughs) Knowing. The worst things in my life now it's it's fine though, and that's kind of the that's kind of the positive side of it in a way is that it's I think it does bridge some some gaps or gulfs or whatever like that if somebody just says what they went through and this is their life, then it's like okay that's that and that you put that in the world, and then maybe somebody can put their version in the world and the world is kind of pointing in a direction now where people are not as just automatically shame driven with things that happen to them and it wasn't that way when i was a kid it just wasn't you swallowed stuff and you kept it to yourself and you just shut up and tried to keep going and then that's but that's not um i don't know that's not it's not a healthy place to be so i'm glad that i'm glad the world is going the way it's going
0: yeah i always get a lot of um i i get a lot of affirmation out of especially as i get a little bit older um you know hearing men who are a little bit older than me embrace things like that you know going back to your your guy on WABC just resisting everything you know i i feel like um i don't know that i i've signed up for the right people when mm-hmm. i hear things like that coming from someone like yourself
1: yeah I, I i would agree with that and i i'm on both sides of it like when i get it, when somebody else does something i i love it um it's very positive, so I feel like maybe it was my when my turn at bat came up. Then I had to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, um, I mentioned this to to Chris when I talked to him, um, but wanted to mention it to you, to you as well. The interview that you did with with Chris Gethard after the show had ended is something that I. I listen to twice a year still.
1: Wow. After which show ended.
0: After his, his show? show ended. Yes. And the two of you talk about doing things for a long time. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a wonderful uh piece of work that the, the two of you did.
1: Oh, awesome. I, I that's that's really Nice to hear. He doesn't remember that conversation as well as <laughs> <So> I do. <laughs> I know. I look. I remember. Yeah. I remember. I remember. I don't remember specifics from it, but I do remember. I do remember it happening. But yeah, but that's the beauty of these things. Is like, just like I can get obsessed with a certain moment or song or TV show or thing like that, and then the person. Then I, I ask the person about it, and they're just like, "What? Um, yeah, I, I kind of remember that." Uh-huh. But then you're just like, "It's it's like you get to be on both sides of that." So, and when you're when you're making stuff, it's like you know what it's like when you're doing episodes of your show, and you're just like, you do it the way you want to do it, but then once it's done, you don't get to you don't get to say what people think of it and you don't get to say which one they like more which which thing resonated with people and which things you thought might have been like an obvious thing that people are gonna be oh everybody's gonna eat this up and then they don't you have no control over that so it's like it's funny to hear because i've said things to i've been interviewing people i've said things that meant something to me that they did and they it clearly they have a different relationship with it than I do. And that's the way it is with stuff on the best show too. And with this book too, it's like all I could do was do the thing and then just kind of the rest is out of my hands.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I deeply appreciate the things that you do and, uh, It was a a real joy to have you on. Thank you so much for talking to me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on. This was great. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Okay. All right, Bubba's It Never Ends is out now. You can find it wherever you buy your books, listen to the best show wherever you listen to this podcast, What We Do in the Shadows, streaming on Hulu, betteryetpod.com, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. We will see you next week. Thank you, friends.
1: Great. Who's that picture in the background? Aretha. Yeah.